Please be, uh, remain standing if you are able, and let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11 once again. We'll be looking at verse um, 6, especially today. We'll begin reading at verse 1. Hebrews 11, hear God's holy word. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Please be seated. Continuing to look at this great faith chapter, Hebrews 11, we need faith. If you haven't gathered that already from the reading, we need faith in God, saving faith, faith in God and his son. We need that faith because we need to please God, and that is a need. That is what our lives should be uh, oriented toward, pleasing God. We're commanded to do that as his creatures who are made in his image. That's what we were made for. You are not your own. No one is. You and I exist for our maker and for his glory. We were made for his pleasure, not for our own. We were not made to live for ourselves, to live for our own pleasure. The world does not revolve around us. I know we have to learn that as we grow up from children. I sort of think it does, but hopefully we learn quickly that it doesn't. Well, I don't know if we really do. (laughs) We kind of struggle with that all our lives, don't we? It doesn't revolve around us and what we want. If you think that way, though, and if you continue to think that way, your thoughts are out of order. Calvin said, uh, our being sanctified is just being put in order. So they're not his exact words, but that's the idea. Our, Our lives are out of whack. They're out of order, and God is reordering them. He's taking that disorder away and ordering them aright. We think that our lives are our own. We're living for our own pleasure. That is a disordered way of thinking. The world revolves around God. That's the order, and it's all about what he wants. And we need to get our minds around that. We need to get that God-centered perspective. And if we don't, if we don't embrace that and get our lives in line with that and our thinking, it will doom us forever. 
on Judgment Day. I think this ultimately is one of the things that distinguishes the person who is regenerated and the one who is not. In the end, the person who comes to know God and walks with him, he begins to live to please the Lord. You and I were made for that. But here in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, we are taught that we cannot please God apart from faith. Old Testament passage about Enoch that the writer is alluding to back in Genesis 5 where we're told originally about Enoch. It doesn't say there in Genesis that Enoch had faith. The writer of Hebrews understood that though. and He does say that by the inspiration of God's Spirit. He says faith was really Enoch's primary characteristic. That was the thing that uh, set him apart. Faith, not works, faith. Enoch pleased God, and it was his faith that so pleased God that God even took him to heaven alive, sparing him from physical death. Imagine that. But it wasn't because he was such a good, upright, moral man who had it all together. No, it was because he had faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. That doesn't keep many people from trying, though, does it? Kent Hughes helps us to understand how faith and our works fit together, and we, of course, believe that they do. They're not uh, at odds. Hughes writes, faith and a righteous walk with God are inseparably joined together in the author's mind, the author of Hebrews, just as he had observed about Abel in the previous verse, saying, by faith he was commended as a righteous man. So the preacher here, the author of Hebrews, is saying that faith precedes and produces the walk that God pleased with. That's so important that we get that. It's so important that we understand that. Faith precedes and produces the walk with God that pleases him. Faith precedes our walk with God. It precedes any works that we do at all. You have to be brought to faith and to spiritual life first before you begin to live and work and serve the Lord. But saving faith alone, apart from any works, is what justifies us sinners. There's no mingling of works in that saving faith. That faith, it does precede everything else. It's the source It's the beginning of our walk with God. And it's not something that we can boast of, not one bit. It is entirely, that faith is entirely, 100%, a gift from God to us. It is not some innate ability that we have, something that deep down, I had it, but maybe my neighbor didn't have that ability, and so he's not a believer. No, it's a gift that God grants every believer. He sovereignly creates faith in our hearts, and he does that through the means of his word and his spirit, in particular the preaching of Christ, the word of Christ. You realize that, though. He gives us this faith. He gives what he requires. Remember Augustine's prayer, 
Lord, ask what you will. Give what you ask. I may have had that reversed, but the idea is you need to provide, Lord, this new life, and then I'll live it. And he needs to provide that gift of faith to us in order to be saved. That faith that pleases him, he has to give it to us. He gives it unilaterally. We don't have any part in that, except that after it's given to us, we exercise it. This reminds me of 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, which is such a great verse where Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? This is how we should always think about our faith in God and Christ. If you have that faith now, it's only because you received it from God. You are the one who has to exercise it, though. He's not going to do that for you. God's not going to have faith for you. He grants you this gift in order that you may exercise it. And if he hadn't done that, there would be no faith in you. No exercising of it, no trusting in Christ, no walking with God, no sanctification whatsoever. He has to first give you that gift, and he sustains it all throughout your earthly life. So we're totally dependent on him for this. We should be very thankful to him for doing it, for granting this gift to us and sustaining it in us. Look at verse 6 again, though. Let's think about that word, impossible. What's the writer saying there? Is he saying it's difficult to please God without faith? It's challenging? It's tough? It's really hard to do, but if you really uh, work hard at it, you can get there. It's doable without faith. No, absolutely not. He is denying that absolutely, categorically. He denies that it's possible to please God at all without faith. And that's exactly what Paul teaches in all his letters as well. Showing my cards there, I don't really believe that Paul is the author of Hebrews. Paul, what he says about justification before God in everything he writes is this very same thing. A holy God cannot and will not be pleased with us will not save and accept us sinful people apart from this righteousness that comes from God through faith. Through faith. Faith is the sole instrument by which we trust in Jesus Christ and receive the forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of his righteousness to our account. Faith alone. And apart from this faith We remain lost, dead sinners, unregenerated, under God's wrath. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And of course, the faith that Paul's referring to there is faith in Jesus. Faith in the Savior, active reliance upon Jesus Christ and his finished work to save you from the wrath of God that you deserve for your sins. That's the faith he's speaking of. And that's the same kind of faith the writer to the Hebrews 
is so concerned about for his readers that they keep their faith in Christ. He's exhorting them to press on with a persevering faith in Christ. Faith is not a a one-time thing. Faith in Christ. Well, when you initially put your faith in Jesus Christ, there is at that point in time uh, justification before God. That is punctiliar. It happens then and there. It doesn't happen uh, progressively over time. Uh, Justification is an act of God's free grace. It is once and for all at the initial act of your putting your trust in Jesus Christ. But we need to persevere in that reliance upon Christ to show that we really are his people, that we really are believers. And we who are regenerated, we who are alive in Christ will do that. We need to keep living by faith in the Son of God day by day, trusting him continually, continuing to trust him for the forgiveness of our sins that we need every single day, right? And also looking to him for that grace that we need to sanctify us, to help us, to strengthen us, to make us holy, to enable us to obey his word. That is faith, looking away from yourself and your own resources to him for his strength, for his enabling grace. That's a continuing on in the life of faith on God and his resources. And if we trust him for those matters, those matters concerning our salvation, then we should also be trusting him, living by faith in him for all things, all things in our lives, for all our needs, for our daily bread, whatever our needs may be, casting all our cares on him in prayer. That's living a life of faith. And that is the life that pleases the Lord. Listen, you cannot just be trying your best to be a good guy or a good girl and to live in a way that is good. That is not the life of faith. Gritting your teeth, just trying, working hard, doing your best. Now, you need to be working hard and doing your best. You need to be doing that in reliance upon the Lord and his strength to enable you. Without that, faith, you'll be trusting in your own efforts, and you will run out of steam because you will not have the strength to persevere in this life for the long haul. You'll be putting your faith in yourself. You'll be self-reliant, and that is the opposite of relying on God. That's the opposite of faith, real faith. Sadly, I think that's how most people live. Think about what the writer's talking about here. Pleasing God. God cannot be pleased. He cannot smile upon that kind of life. No matter how uh, outwardly upright it might be. No matter how outwardly moral it might look. Think about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were uh, people who had very um, outwardly upright moral lives. They were the cream of the crop in their days. They were the conservative Bible guys. They were the ultra-conservative, careful students of Scripture. They were the, uh, the students of the law, and they tried to be very thorough in their obedience to it. But instead of trusting in Christ, they were trusting in their own efforts. They were essentially patting themselves on the back as well 
and looking down at others who weren't measuring up as well as they thought they were. Bottom line is there was no faith in them. If there was any faith at all, it was faith in themselves and their own efforts. They were lost, they were far from God. God was not pleased with them. What a warning they are for all of us. Well, what is this faith that pleases God? Beyond what we've already said, the writer points out two things that faith includes. One, true faith believes that God exists. And second, it believes that he rewards those who seek him. The first statement tells us that God is only pleased with those who believe that he is. That's literally how it it reads in the original. He is. Now, this is not... Uh, sort of a bare minimum description of what qualifies for real faith. Uh, This is not saying that you just need to believe in a God, uh, some generic God, anyone will do, Uh, just that there's a God that exists. No, the true God is the only God. That's the God that the writer of Hebrews has in mind here. He is the creator of, and the sustainer of all things. He is the great I am who spoke to Moses and described himself that way at the burning bush. He's the Lord. He's the the giver of the law. He is the personal God of Psalm 139 who knitted us together in our mother's wombs. He's the God of the Old and New Testament, one and the same. He's the eternal one who is and who was and who always will be the one and only true God. There is no other. He's the God who has revealed himself clearly in the things that he's made, but even so much more clearly in his word. He's made himself known, and he's made himself known through Scripture as The triune God, one God in three persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. F.F. Bruce puts it this way, it is not belief in the existence of a God that is meant here, but belief in the existence of the God, the one who declared his will to the fathers through the prophets. And in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son, the writer of Hebrews says, those who approach him can do so in full confidence that he exists and that his word is true and that he will never put off or disappoint the soul that sincerely seeks him for all that he has revealed of himself, whether through his prophets or through his son, assures us that he is altogether worthy of his people's trust. He is worthy of his people's trust. The writer's point here is that, that anyone who comes to God must come by faith to the real God, the God who loves and redeems his people, the God who has given us open access to him so that we can come to him. And how did he do that? How did he give us that access? Access through his son, through the Lord Jesus Christ. That God alone is God. And if you don't have him through faith in his son, you don't have the true God at all. Colossians 1, we 
That same passage that we often read as a confession of faith, we hear of how central Jesus is to having the true God. Paul writes of Jesus, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is so central to having the true God. He is the true God. He is the God that you have to believe in and put your trust in and come to by faith. And apart from him, you have no God at all. But in him, you have God in all things. Your God died for you, loved you and died for you, reconciled you to himself by his own blood on the cross, all because of his great love for his people. John writes, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes on him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves us. God the Son loves us. The cross is a certain proof of that. And if you would come to God at all, you must first come to his Son by faith. God is well pleased with the person who does that. His smile of love will remain forever on you if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his dying love. Quickly, this leads to the last point. The author speaks of the, the motivation of faith. He says we must believe that God rewards those who seek him. Believe that he is and believe that he rewards those who seek him. He's not saying, of course, the opposite of what he's just been saying and the opposite of what the rest of the scriptures teach. He's not saying that God rewards us with salvation um, as a response to our works. Oh, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The writer's really saying here, as he says, he rewards those who seek him. He's just saying that we and all people need to seek him. We need to have dealings with this God. We need to come to him. He's the one who alone determines our destiny and that of every human being who has ever lived. So we must seek him for his favor, for his eternal favor. We must seek him for that in place of eternal condemnation, the condemnation that we deserve. He has designed salvation in such a way that it doesn't just happen automatically. We have to seek him for it. And if you don't, you will be lost. But if you do seek him, you can have confidence that you will find him. You will find him in the wonderful person and work of Jesus Christ. And when you seek salvation in Jesus, God will certainly give you that salvation. He will give you that heavenly reward that he's promised to all who trust in Jesus. And don't think of that reward as a, a payment for services rendered. That's not what's being meant here at all. It's a reward 
of his grace, not of your effort. Just as God will reward the ungodly with the judgment that they deserve for their continued rebellion and refusal to repent, so God will reward you, not for what you deserve, but for what Jesus Christ has done for you. It's what he deserves. It's given to you freely as a gift. He will reward you who seek forgiveness and eternal life through faith, Jesus, and his blood. And in the end, your reward will be all of God's grace and not at all of your merit. One last thing, the author says God rewards those who seek him. Think about that. Romans 3, 11 tells us no one seeks God. No one. Not even one. Remember that passage? But both statements are true. No one seeks God on his own. Not one person. So if you do seek God, there's only one explanation for that. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. It means that if you seek God as you ought to, as you are called to do, it is only because he has first been seeking you and drawing you to himself. That's exactly what he does. Isn't that good to know? None of us would seek him. He has to do that. He has to, to work that inclination into us to seek him. Why would he do that? Yeah, it's because he loves us. He loves us. He draws us to his son for the purpose of giving us eternal life which is an eternal relationship with him. And he gives us that through faith, his son. So by all means, seek him. Seek him. You are called to seek the Lord for this salvation. Seek him with all your heart. And if you do, you will find him. It will be by his doing. He will then reward you with a beautiful gift of his grace, beautiful living walk with him for the rest of your life on earth. And then he will bring you to himself in the next life. We'll continue to walk with God, eternal joy. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, and we ask that you would give what you require of us. We confess that we cannot please you without faith, and we cannot even um, exercise faith ourselves unless you grant it and sustain it. So form it in us, we pray. Lord, seek us. Lead us to be seekers of you. Lead us to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that you would draw each and every one of us to him and keep us in his love always. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.